Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive. I always say ideas are everywhere, and if you look around, you don't need to lock into your own industry or sector to find ideas. In fact, sometimes by doing parallels to other industries, you can make great leaps in your learning. Today, we're talking with Christian Ebert. And Christian Hubert is a farmer, first of all, but also a very smart business person. But you don't need to hear that from me. Christian will talk about that himself. Enjoy the conversation. I think you will. That's it. All right. I'm ready. Well, thanks for joining me today, Christian. Thanks for having me. Um, I wonder if we could start, just uh, maybe tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, what you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm Christian Hebert from Southeast Saskatchewan. Our our main operation is a crop farm at Mooseman, Fairlight to be technical. We farm about 11,000 acres of grains and oil seeds. Um, my background, grew up on the farm, went away to school, thought I'd be a doctor because I had good marks. Hated it after the first year of pre-med. <laughs> Told my dad I was going to go into agronomy. And he said, why don't you take business? I can teach you how to farm. Business is what we you know, we could use some help on. So yeah, I took a commerce degree at U of S, majored in accounting and finance. When I moved home, the operation wasn't quite big enough for two families yet. So I actually articled with Myers Norse Penny for six years, just in the winters, grain farmed all summer. Did my CPA and focused basically as much time as I possibly could on, on farms, ag management, succession, and anything kind of unique and outside the box in agriculture that could help boost profit margins. That's that's that explains a lot of about kind of where you are and and what you do because um, I think a lot about or how I know you or maybe other people know you is just that idea of teaching or helping people achieve excellence in farming or talking about excellence in farming and and how to get there. Uh, how did that come about? How did you become uh, a, a, an in demand speaker? It's kind of a funny story. I took a course down at, at Texas and A&M called TPAP. So it's the Executive Program for Agricultural Producers. And a professor down there by the name of Danny Kleinfelter operates it. And I'd, I would personally put him as a, he's a personal mentor to me, but I would also say in my mind, he's one of the best ag minds in the world. Um, he taught at Texas A&M for years, worked at Farm Credit, but his brother ran their farm in Illinois and he always remained an investor and actively involved. So he could take those 100,000 foot business concepts and explain how they would would and could work on a farm. So I spent time down there uh, when I was 24 and 25. It's just a week each year and then you can go to the alumni group after that. And it was three or four years after that Danny was supposed to speak in Saskatoon and by all fluke he was trimming trees for his wife on a stepladder in the backyard and fell down and broke a couple of ribs and put himself in the hospital. So he phoned me in about a week before the event and said, would you, would you go do the presentation for me and just add some spin on your farm story? So <laughs> because I owed him one, I went and did it and it's turned into a bit of a, a bit of a side shoot. We, you know, we get asked to do a number of engagements a year. We only say yes to five or six and, and really it's kind of what it got, what got us focused on kind of what we call political risk in agriculture. Like I qualify branding under political risk, political risk are those things that we have no control over i.e. politics, TPP, NAFTA. But in ag, we also like to complain that a lot of boards who are helping decide the future of ag aren't going in the direction we are. But then again, a lot of us don't do anything about it. 
So we kind of went a different mode instead of sitting on a whole bunch of boards. We have a, we got a board rule for our management team, but why don't we try and create a farm brand that allows those groups to come to us if it's an area that we're, that we're maybe good at or have some ideas at. Okay. So that if you Google risk management and egg, hopefully Christian Hebert or Hebert Grain Ventures pop up. Or if you Google, I want to work on a progressive farm in Canada, hopefully Christian Hebert or Hebert Grain Ventures pops up. Okay. So let's, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So that, that's kind of why we've continued speaking is that as we built the brand, we realized that we could accomplish a couple goals and that was, you know, help direct an industry in areas where we felt we had some, some skill set. It allowed us to bring a lot of people on board for everything from, you know, interim jobs to full-time jobs without spending a lot of work on it. And the third thing was, is as this brand began to build, it allowed us to realize that one thing we want to do is help everyone in ag have a, have a better life, which tends to lead to less stress and more money. Yeah. Those two things are usually what makes life easier. Well, I'm sure people in Saskatchewan, but may or may not appreciate the amount of risk that's involved in, in farming. Um, what, what are the challenges right now? Where is farming going and what are the challenges that producers are faced with? Well, I think in any commodity business, as revenues grow, margins squeeze. The percentage doesn't really change the same. So the kicker is, is as revenue grows, if your percentage of margin is going to stay the same, it means expenses grow. So mm-hmm. the amount of risk per acre has extrapolated substantially. Uh, I'd say since 2007 till today, your break-even cost as a farm has, has exactly doubled or more. Wow. And in that time, I wouldn't say risk programs or even the amount of time we spend on risk management has, has changed hardly at all. So that, you know, that's one area that can highly affect it. One question when I'm out presenting that I ask all the time is, if you had the worst year ever, how much money could you lose? And not a lot of producers know that number. And it's not their fault. They have, you know, we pay accountants and consultants and right. we have risk management programs that we maybe hope and wish have us covered, but we haven't spent a lot of time doing it. Um, yet if, you know, in a lot of instances, if you ask certain other small businesses that question, they'll have some sort of a business interruption insurance or et cetera that they kind of know if things went sideways, I'm good for three months, six months, 12 months, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that, that's my worry on risk is the size of it and that we maybe haven't spent enough time managing what happens if, if we do take that really bad early August frost or whatever the worst peril is for somebody. So you talk um, uh, a lot about uh, 5% and, and what you call the 5% rule. Maybe could you just summarize that for me? What, why 5% or what, it, what is the 5% rule? Yeah, so the, the 5% rule once again originated with Danny. And what it really means is that in today's world, I think a lot of people try and find that unicorn that's going to just automatically double their bottom line. So they're looking for that one thing that whether Amazon's telling them it or Tesla or whoever, that's going to extrapolate their bottom line and their valuation. When in fact, in most cases, all it is is a whole bunch of little things added together. So if you look at agriculture, the 5% rule just means if you tried a couple different things, could you grow 5% more bushels? Could you market it 5% better if you spent a bit more time and got some education on it? And could you reduce your cost structure by 5%? things such as sectional control or running your equipment longer, et cetera. And if you do those three 5% things, it actually changes your bottom line by at least 117%. 
How would you, uh, can, like that seems to be a parallel. I mean, I see that across in marketing for sure. Oh, yeah. Always looking for that thing that's going to make us the big heroes or knock it out of the park for us. Um, is there three specific, like those are areas uh, for farming? Is, can, can we generalize those or is that unique to farming? No, I, I think you could generalize it a lot of ways in that. So, I mean, the first one is your production. So in agriculture, that's a bit more variable than some other businesses. Mm -hmm. But is there a way for you to produce more just by tweaking some, say, timing, management decisions, certain things you're using, et cetera? Um, so could you utilize cost of goods sold to increase revenue in some way or another? Mm -hmm. And in, in agriculture, that is, could you use a few more inputs, basically, if the risk wasn't there? And would you generally grow more? And, in, and there's other businesses as that's the same way. Usually it's probably could you invest in a higher class of team members? Cause that's a cost. And would they produce a higher output of revenue? So even though you spent a bit more, you took more risk, did it increase your revenue? So okay. I would say in marketing, that's probably one of the best ways, right? Right. Yeah. Technology, another way to invest in something that could create more revenue and then marketing, same thing. So we're looking for 5% more price on a commodity. Well, in any other business, can you provide that differentiate differential value to charge 5% more than your direct competitor? Now, I, I like that. I, I like the whole idea because, again, it's, it's it, it, I mean, it seems like common sense. Okay, let's just do incremental gains yep. in all areas. How do, you, how do you, at the end of the year, measure that, especially in farming where, you know, it's, there's such variance every year? So, I mean, the, the easiest way is to compare against yourself. And I realize Mother Nature is, a, is an effect on that. So mm -hmm. the, the revenue portion is a little bit tougher, especially on the production. But on marketing, you can compare to how you did last year. You can compare to where the market is. You can compare to there's a lot of marketing experts that post how they've done it. An even better way is have a peer group. So have a group of five to 10 individuals that you benchmark against and you're pretty open about maybe not your exact numbers, but your percentages if you divide everything by revenue or whatever it is. Because mm -hmm. there is one thing about most business owners is they're competitive. So if you have five to eight people you're benchmarking against and you're consistently coming in eighth in a category, you will fix it. Yeah. However, if you don't ever check it, we also can become complacent if, if we're still making money, right? right. Yeah. Pain causes us to change. So it either has to be a pain of no cash or a pain that somebody's beating us. Mm -hmm. So peer groups are another way. And then, you know, the Sasquag and the federal government and banks all have their internal benchmarks. Myers Norse Penny has internal benchmarks that you can utilize to to check it year after year. Um, when you talk about peers, do you do you openly share with others or how do you figure out how they're doing versus what, how you're doing? Yeah, so we're part of a couple of peer groups. The one, I actually prefer peer groups of business owners, not necessarily farmers. Okay. Um, so I, I'm part of a big one and it's business owners from kind of all around North America, a couple globally in all different ventures. And my reason for that was is, even if you get a group of five to eight really progressive farms together, we still tend to group think or even we, we kind of blame things on the same thing. Mother right. Nature did that. You know, this piece of equipment hurt this. And yet, if you're in a peer group with a resort owner from Mexico and you say, well, this happened because of Mother Nature, he'll look at you and say, well, what was your plan? Mm -hmm. He says, well, what do you mean? He'll say, well, Mother Nature's the number one effect on my revenue of my resort. And here's what we do to be ready for it. Do you have a plan like that on your farm? And I said, nope. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so bring... little things like that. And problems are the same in all small businesses. Mm -hmm. So if you could, the big thing when I'm sharing is it's a percentage of whether it be your 
your all-in expenses for the year or your revenue. And I, like, I tend to like to use expenses because they're consistent from year to year where revenue can be volatile in egg. So if you divide everything by that number, you can benchmark against anybody without really telling them anything. Oh, man. Right? Sure. So you could take your wages divided by total expenses. You could take your depreciation divided by total expenses. And then all you have to do is say, what's our percentage, like our revenue percent to our total expenses. And now all of a sudden you can benchmark against anybody without really showing them your bank account if that's what people are worried about. The, um, uh, I heard your 5% rule talk and at the time I heard it, I don't know if this is a standard for you or not, but you talked about the, and I've heard this quote so many times, the Wayne Gretzky quote about, you know, uh, I, I skate where the puck's going to be, not, not, uh, where it is, but, uh, you interpreted that in a different way that I hadn't heard. And I, I really liked it because you talked about thinking in, in business terms about, okay, where are, where is the business going to be, or where is the. I guess, industry, in a way, going to be in three to five years from now. How do you create those outlooks for yourself? Or, or what are you visioning when you're thinking of where things are going? Yeah, so I mean, I think in today's world with technology, we all got to remember the internet's only 20 years old and the change we've seen from a bag phone 20 years ago to what we can <laughs> accomplish on an iPhone now yeah. and how technology is allowing us to extrapolate businesses at speeds where we think are unheard of, right? Mm -hmm. And the story I like to use, right, is we all might be a 60 mile an hour train going down the track, but if the person behind us has a better dream than we do, they might be doing 80 mile an hour and that's still a problem. Mm -hmm. So we try to kind of split our business into two, two realms. We, you need a dreamer and you need doers because a dream's useless if nobody can execute and an execution's useless if nobody had the dream. So those dreamers should be spending time within a network, both within your industry and within other industries to find out or hopefully have some sort of a promised land or a North star of which is going to guide the business. Right. And ours is, you know, we've bought into the fact that technology is going to change rapidly over the next 10 to 20 years, probably twice as fast as it has now. 5g is supposed to be basically us wide within 24 months. And it's a hundred times faster than 4g. And the big thing is the capacity of it. You could have sensors on individual plants versus on individual fields. So where does that get to also one thing in ag that we like to, to use as a bit of a crutch is it's really hard to train people to do things the way we do it. Mm -hmm. But let's be honest, that's any business. The issue with ag is that we sometimes only get to do those things once a year. So Walmart turns their inventory hundreds of times. So that person doing that job actually gets to learn that task a hundred times a year where we only seed once and we only combine once which means that we better start learning a lot in the time that we're doing that and making live decisions and find ways to use technology to train these individuals faster if we want to grow with that type of a speed. And I think that's where technology is really going to play to the point where, you know, our combines really drive themselves nine, about 90 to 92% of the year. There's some technology out there now where you set the parameters and your main job is to listen to the combine and keep the seat switch activated. Mm -hmm. And even my dad, who's 57, and I mean, I used to joke about him five years ago. He still had a VCR with, the, with it blinking 12 o'clock on the clock. He utilizes that technology more than anybody else on our farm. So he proved to himself that that combine with those parameters set was going to get more done in a day than him driving it manually. So if he can do that, I don't see why any employee at some point in time, we can't get to that point as the tech gets better. Mm -hmm. 
And then still sharing or finding ways to share what you're learning amongst your team, I guess, right? Rapidly. It would, you know, it's going to get to the point where if one combine is doing that and it's more efficient, I'm going to get an alert on my phone, hit a button, and it just rapidly goes through the other machines. Sweet. So, I mean, that, you know, that's kind of the North Star we've decided to follow on our farm is, is manage our risk. If we know our working capital and debt service on a 12, 24, and 36-month plan, then our bankers and our consultants work for us. We don't work for them. If you're going to them to ask those two numbers, you work for your bankers and consultants. It's not the other way around. Mm -hmm. So we want to know those two numbers because cash is king. And then obviously then we switch and focus on what we call gross margin and labor power and machinery. And and we think two things are going to drive that, technology and people. Um, when you talked about earlier about the dreamers and doers, do you identify that on your team or uh, like this is the, so-and-so is the dreamer and we're going to, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've kind of been coined the dreamer yeah, role. So, yeah. uh, and I've got a really good group of, of doers, um, on the team. So, I mean, there's some hybrid doers. You have to have doers that aren't, aren't scared of the dream right? and can come up with the steps in order to make it executed on the other side. Cause if you have a doer, that's just a pure hands-on doer, they're very important in every organization, but a dream will scare them. So you kind of have those in, in between roles, right? Um, we call them you know, like an innovation manager and then you'd move down to the true doer role. But, you know, dreamers like to dream, not necessarily do. So you have to value both sides of that role and you have to be able to take criticism and positives from both sides to hopefully get the right dream in place and then get the steps in place that the team can execute on it. So, and, and I'm lucky that way. My, you know, my dad, Louie, and I got an operations manager, Jeff, are very good at very good at trying to lock me in a room for a while on a whiteboard and then come in and pick holes in any dream that I have. And then we kind of come up with the direction and figure out how we're going to execute it. And, you know, we got it, we got unique skill sets on, on our management team in order to add a lot of value in a lot of different ideas. So we try to spend some time doing that kind of stuff versus working what we call in our business every right. day. Yeah. So what, um, what's the best advice you've had on, on in business, I guess, as it applies to your farm Danny Kleinfelter once told me, can you dream big enough? So kind of where I go with that is when uh, the example I use is when someone asks you in today's world, if you have a, a, a child between two and five and they say, what are they going to be when they grow up? My answer right now is I'm not sure because I don't think their job exists. Because mm -hmm. in today's technological world, it is changing that fast. So can you dream big enough? Or is it just a hybrid of a dream that was kind of cool 10 years ago and now you're just late to the party? So that, you know, that was one thing that, that Danny really taught me. And then we tie in the other thing of, you know, somebody somewhere in the world is actually kicking your ass at everything you do. You might be really good at what you do and there's a hundred steps to do what you do. But if you broke that down into those hundred steps, there's someone doing it better than you. So can you, can you get your team and yourself to be humble enough to always learn and to always be looking for that group that's doing it better than you are, mm -hmm. and then take it the step further, figure out how you can implement it on your own operation. Yeah. And I would say, you know, those are, those are two pieces I hold pretty close, are those two to just keep us moving forward. Don't become complacent. Yeah, no, it's good advice. Stay curious and yeah, keep driving for sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, I ask everyone uh, kind of uh, lessons learned and lessons learned in, in marketing, but maybe we'll switch that to business. So what, what kind of lessons have you learned 
now, now that you're running the farm, or maybe you're not running the farm, but, uh, <laughs> dreaming about it. Yeah, I guess. So, I mean, we got the farm, and we have a we have a couple other businesses that we're highly involved in an insurance business and a and a tech business to find help for agriculture. And so, what it's taught me is that spend some time figuring out what you really love doing. So I kind of classify tasks into three groups. There's, there's those tasks that you actually don't like doing at all, but you're still doing. There's the tasks that you understand are important for business and you'll do them, but they don't make you excited. And then there's those tasks that you could do them all day, every day, seven days a week, 16 hours a day, and you still go home happy. So figure out what those are and then get a plan to try and get as many people on your team as possible into the group of tasks that make everybody happy and passionate. And it took me a long time to figure that out, right? Because in general, every business has its way that you move up the corporate ladder and that's the way you get paid more, et cetera, et cetera. But we probably move a lot of people away from what they love doing just because they want more money. Right. Which is backwards. Yeah. So the other thing I, you know, I spend a lot of time on now that I didn't realize is that, you know, as you work your way towards success, you get asked to do more and more things. And as you get asked to do more and more things, you tend to say yes, because in the past, that is, that's how you've got to where you are. The problem is you better eventually come up with your own North Star or that big goal that you're trying to accomplish and only say yes to things that lead towards that. Because time is the only thing that you can't really make more of. Now you can buy it back. You can hire great people and delegate, which is probably the biggest thing anyone's ever taught me is the only way you buy back time is to hire really, really good people. However, you still only have X minutes every day. So do what you love as many of those minutes as you can and only say yes to things that can either what we call 10 X your time. So it might be beneficial to my farm and to the insurance business and to my family all in the same eight hours. So if someone was paying you for that, they'd actually paid you for eight times three. That's 10 Xing your time. And so you want to do tasks that you're passionate about and you only want to do tasks that somehow fit into what, you know, you and your family and your spouse have decided your North Star is because eventually all you're going to do is make yourself busy. That's fantastic advice. I love that. Now, let me ask because um, I'm not sure if, if it's possible, but you talked about, you know, tasks you don't like to do but have to do. Do you find um, like when you uh, look in your team, there are people who actually love to do the tasks that you hate to do. Is that what you're talking about? Kind of finding those people? Yeah. So we actually did a, you know, we, so we Colby personality profile, anybody on our team before we hire them. So we try to get personality profiles to match up. Sorry. Col- it's called a Colby K O L B E. It's kind of your innate. You're always going to fall back on that, that role. And, and one thing is a follow through. So that means if you have high follow through and you have a list from one through 10, you're probably going to get the whole list done and you're going to start at one and you're going to go to 10. My follow through is a two. So I'm not going to get it all done and I'm probably yeah. not going to start at number one. Right. So you don't want me to be running the shop on a farm. It doesn't work. So we try to hire personalities that'll fit a role. And then we go through those ABC tasks. Cause for instance, you might have somebody that you think would love driving a semi all winter because they love running equipment. But then they tell you in their task list, no, I, I don't like it at all. I like the change of working on equipment and I'm quite mechanical. And the individual that you had working in the shop because you thought they were mechanical says, no, I would love driving a truck all winter. But if you never ask them, yeah. then you just tell people where you think they'd be good, but people aren't as good if they don't love what they're doing. So we just found that, you know, at least once a year, we kind of go through those tasks 
So kind of have the, the, the crew on a trimester basis go through, here's kind of what I've done. Here's what I like the most. Here's what I don't mind doing. It's kind of part of my life. And, and then please tell us and be honest, what do I really not like doing? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to promise you we're not going to make it stop, right? Yeah. Everyone has to shovel a bin. I'm sorry, it's part of farming and I don't have anyone that puts it as I love doing this. <laughs> it's either I hate it or I understand it's part of work and we'll yeah. just get it done. Yeah. But lots of times you can just shuffle some things around and it automatically improves team engagement because they're happier, right? And it also kind of brightens up the whole of when we hire the next team member, what are we trying to get them to do? Well... Christian, thanks so much for, uh, for chatting with me. How can, how can people find out more about you or connect with you? Well, I'm pretty sure christianhebert.com is going to go live here on the weekend or, or early next week. And it's the same thing we talked about. Um, you had asked if I was a consultant and I said, no, cause we really just, we really like to run our own businesses, but we have a, we got a soft spot in our operation for, you know, young farmers and young entrepreneurs. And so we wanted a way to get some content out to them more on a, on a regular basis, just versus a once a year, 5% rule speech. And as I said, it, it's not going to be drumming up sales, but it's more some of these whiteboards that I have. And if we're going to be, have a videotape taken or write a blog or do a podcast, we'll have it all in one location. So at least people can get some content on some ideas that we have and what's worked and what hasn't worked. Oh, fantastic. So I'll put a link to that on our show notes because Christian is not spelt the way I would spell Christian. How do you spell it? K-R-I-S-T-J-A-N. Hebert, and that's H-E-B-E-R-T. And this will drop uh, probably in a week or two, so your site will be well up by then. Yep. uh, Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, It's been really cool. I really enjoyed talking to you. You bet. Thanks for having me.